You know, every day is an adventure with Jesus Christ, especially Sundays when we get up and prepare our hearts to come to church and worship him with brothers and sisters. And, you know, every Sunday we celebrate a risen Savior. That's the essence of having church, is realizing what we have and what was paid for our life upon that cross. But every once in a while we have a couple of extra little special things that we do. And today is one of those days. And brothers and sisters, friends, church family, I don't want you to take lightly what's happening here in our midst today as we ordain two men to the ministry as deacons. And I've been moved these last two weeks, as you remember, two weeks ago we had the privilege of ordaining Scott Pond into the ministry. And uh, we didn't ordain him, God ordained him. All we were doing was letting it be made public what God had already done. It's the very same thing today with these two precious men in our midst, that we're just making it public what God has already done and has been doing. And the part I don't want you to take lightly, and people have asked me sometimes, and I, I feel the Holy Spirit moving, or I don't feel the Holy Spirit moving, or what it might be, but... As you look at these men today and hear their testimonies in a few minutes, and remember Scott Pond the other day too, and all the men that have been ordained to this church, and uh, we've ordained seven pastors altogether, and I've lost track of how many deacons we've ordained, but uh, God has been moving in the hearts of men in this church. And it's an incredible privilege of the pastor to see that and to watch that and to see a man come and join our church and see kind of where he's at spiritually, but several years later see this man is on fire for God. He's growing for God. And that's what it's all about, and the ladies too, and it just brings joy to my heart to see that. But I want you to know that uh, it's nothing short of a miracle from God to see these men today being ordained to this, but also realizing that they've come from a long history, both these men, of serving the Lord and loving the Lord. And we've had some men come that got saved later in life, but these men have known Jesus Christ for a long time, and they've been growing in the Lord at incredible speed over these years. And today they're taking this next step to go on record that they are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and they want you to know that, that they're here to serve him first but also you and that's their mission in life is to serve you. I want to tell you a couple of personal things about both these men. First of all, what I know. Billy Kane is actually my son-in-law. Many of you know that but many of you may not. He married my oldest daughter and I couldn't be more thankful for that. First time I met Billy Kane thinking about him, I realized here is an incredible young man, incredibly gifted in intellect, but more than that, has a genuine, real love for God. He has, and he had and continues to have the fruits of the Spirit manifested in daily life. He's a very gentle person, kind person, loving person, self-control. All those fruits of the Spirit I see in him, he's a walking example in my life and heart. And uh, he came to me a number of years ago and said, hey, I'd like your permission to start courting your daughter. How many times did that happen? And I said, absolutely. And he told me how it's going to happen. And he and Julian made decisions that they're not going to even hold hands during the courtship. And uh, you know when their first kiss was? On their wedding day. And uh, thank you, God, for giving me a son-in-law to marry my oldest daughter that lived his life like that. Billy has an incredible gift. He's a very smart young man, incredibly gifted there, worked for some major Fortune 500 companies, but also has just a gift to know the right things to do. 
and he does it in the Lord. And he shares the gospel everywhere he goes. He's had incredible experiences doing that and shared the gospel with everybody that came to his wedding. Turned around in the middle of the wedding. Somebody asked me if he do this and said, I want to share the gospel here with my friends. Tell you the most important thing in my life. He knew there would be a number of lost people there because he invited his co-workers from his work to come to that wedding. And so I've seen him grow in the Lord. I see him and Jillian serving the Lord together. And um, it's one of those things I've told married couples as they're going through counseling that, you know, God's intention for marriage, a lot of things. But number one was that two people can bring more glory to God than one. And they're a living example of that, how they can join together. They're each doing it individually, join together, do it now. haven't known Chris Thomas for quite as long, but the very first moment I met Chris, he had an incredible heart for God. And uh, how do I know that? Because every time I talk to him about Jesus Christ, you know what? We both get emotional. And uh, he has a heart that's bigger than life. And he loves the Lord. Uh, you may have remembered he's our missionary to Venezuela. And this last year he was going on with the same team he'd been there with before with. And the team canceled out. They decided they weren't going. And you know what Chris said? Well, it kind of confused me for a few minutes. But you know what? God spoke to my spirit. I'm going by myself. So he got on a plane, went down to Venezuela. He's preached to hundreds of people. He's seen hundreds of people get saved in Venezuela. He has a burning passion inside him to reach people for lost. Shares it. He's got an incredibly huge job with a major corporation. And you know what? He uses that job as a platform to share Jesus Christ. And uh, has a beautiful wife and son too. And, uh, but we're so thankful for these men. I want you to know that God has been at work in these two men's lives. And he continues to be at work today in their life. And he has set them apart for this very specific reason, to serve you as a deacon at Beaverdam Baptist Church. You know what? The, the church needs servants willing, and this is the important part, to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also to help them grow. These two men fit that, but to do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. They're also willing to suffer it costs anything. I'm going to tell you this morning that some of the most precious ministry experiences I've had, some of the most precious experiences I've heard from other people in the ministry and other deacons, happen at the most inopportune time. I mean, in the middle of the night, a knock on your door, in the middle of the night, a phone call comes, and they're rushing my hospital, my husband to the hospital, Pastor, can you come down there? You know, my first thought in the flesh is I'm really tired. But you know what? And these men appreciate this. I wouldn't have got that phone call. These men wouldn't get that phone call if God did not trust them to be where they're supposed to be. Because God knows that these two men are willing to do whatever it takes to serve the cause of Christ. And I love that about them. I love that about our deacons in this church. They have a heart to give. Years ago, I had a first sergeant that I worked with in the, in the Marine Corps. And he had won them. His, his first sergeant, Kellogg was his name. He won the Medal of Honor in Vietnam. He jumped on a hand grenade that did not go off. Thank you, God, for that. But as men saw that, he was willing to give his life. And many men do do that, and they end up giving their life. But that was a, a, a malfunctioning grenade and didn't go off, but he won the Medal of Honor. But he had a saying that he used to always talk to young Marines about, and I heard him say it over times, and I, I love the saying. He says, in this world of give and take, there's very few that give what it takes. And he's trying to encourage and challenge young Marines to step up there. But I want you to know this morning... That in this world of give and take, Billy Kane and Chris Thomas give what it takes. That's why they're here today. That's why God has anointed them for this very special time. I picked out one verse that I want to look at this morning very briefly. told them I'd preach for ten minutes, and you know that's not true. But uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Colossians, I mean, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 24. 
That's First Colossians as opposed to Second Colossians. I'm just kidding. Colossians 1, verse 24. As you find your way there this morning, let's stand out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's on the screens up there behind me. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Colossae, and he's wanting to encourage that church. The whole letter of Colossae is a grand, great, brilliant, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. But he wants the church of Colossae to understand walking with the Lord and what it means to be a servant. So he says this, Paul, I now rejoice in my, in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Let me read that one more time. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. Each and every one of us, Father, as we recognize these two men, Father, we realize your scripture applies to us as well, Father. So let us see your truth today in your holy word. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul was an incredible servant. He really was. He wasn't always that way. You remember the story in the Damascus Road when he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. got halted in his tracks and knocked on his knees because he came face to face with Jesus Christ. But he realized that Jesus Christ was God immediately on that road. You know the first thing that Paul asked Jesus Christ after they had a little conversation about persecuting his people and persecuting him? Paul looked at Jesus Christ after he realized who he was talking to and says, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What a profound thought for you and I in our lives. Jesus Christ, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be about? These men have no problem understanding what God wants them to do. I love that about these guys, that they realize who Jesus Christ is in their life, and they're willing to give their life for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was one of those servants. He paid any price. He suffered any burden to serve Jesus Christ. He wrote the Corinthian church. He told them this. He said, man, I was having a hard time with this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that thorn was, but he kept saying, I, I, I even prayed to God three times, God, that you'd take this thorn out of my flesh. Please take it away. He was anguishing over the thorn in his flesh. Jesus Christ answered Paul personally. It says, my grace is sufficient. What does that mean? It says, if you've got my grace, which you have, Paul, that's all you need. You're going to get through it. But then he goes on and explains this. He says, it's in your weakness that you're going to see my greatest strength. Think about this in your own life. When we're struggling in our life, when we have weaknesses in our life, and we're, we're not where we need to be or want to be, you know what? God's saying, hey, just trust me. Just trust me. Because you have this relationship with me because of grace, just trust me. Just walk with me. But I love Paul's response. Paul said this. After Jesus Christ said that my grace is sufficient, he says, I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love that thought. Think about that. Paul's saying, bring it on. Enemy, bring it on. Why? Because when I'm struggling in the greatest ways, when I'm in the midst of these infirmities, you know what? I'm closest to Jesus Christ then. I love it. Remember when Paul was arrested and beaten and thrown in the jail in Philippi? Remember that, the Philippian jail? He's down there in the innermost part of that sanctum. And what, is, what did... Uh, what happened down there? He could have been down there complaining about his wounds, complaining about his miserable. Down there was Silas. They probably looked at him, man, is there any part of your body that doesn't hurt? No, man, my whole body hurts. They could have had all kinds of discussions, could have had a major league pity party, but they didn't. You know why? Because Paul's heart was, I'd rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon What did they do? They realized where they're at. We're just going to celebrate God right now. We're going to thank God because we have been entrusted, because we're worthy of suffering for the cause of Christ. 
These men understand that calling. They've already experienced those things. They've already been serving in a great way. There's a wonderful truth in that verse that we just looked at. It says this, verse 24, chapter 1 of Colossians. I now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in the flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Well, what does that mean, lacking in the afflictions of Christ? You know what it is? Even though they crucified, brutalized, and murdered Jesus Christ, you know those that did it? They didn't get enough of that. They wanted more. And so what do they want more of? They want more of you and I. Through all the generations, they've been persecuting the cause of Christ. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. They have a problem with Jesus Christ. Why? I tell you why. Because he lives. There is no other God in all the universal, in all the all the universe, that lives besides God and His Son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We serve a living God, and that bothers the Dickens out of them. That bothers them to the point where they don't want to have anything to do about it. Why? Because they feel a conviction. They feel a little moral judge of a uh, moral piercing in their soul every time they go off in the wrong direction. They don't like that. Why? Because I'm God. Secular humanism. I'm God. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. There's all kinds of reasons out there. But in spite of the cross, in spite of the death, those persecutors, those people of the world, those enemies of the cross are not going to be filled up. They're going to continue to persecute the cross, persecute the church, the body of believers, and persecute people that say, I'm serving Christ with all I have. It's a war out there. When Jesus Christ walked on earth, he loved the church. He gave himself for it. He poured out his heart and his life for us. Christ ministered, he served, he labored, he worked. Every day Jesus Christ worked to a point of exhaustion and fatigue in his earthly body. Do you know what Jesus Christ was doing? Jesus Christ was giving you and I a model to walk by. He was showing what it looks like. The night he, he, he spent that evening, he had a fervent desire to spend the time in the upper room with his disciples the night before he got crucified. At the end of the night, the Gospel of John tells us that he took off his garment and got on his knees, got a bucket of water and washed the feet of the disciples. Why did he do that? There's probably no greater act of service in those days than washing the feet of somebody else. It was relegated to the lowest servant in the household. It was the lowest of all jobs. And Jesus Christ did that for the apostles. Why? Because he loved them. But he also told them, he said, I've done this to you. Go and do it to others. Jesus Christ has modeled for you and I what it looks like to be a servant. I'm so thankful for the deacon body we have here. I'm so thankful for these two men standing tall for the glory of God and joining this deacon body. Why? Because these men truly have a heart to serve you. But you know, it's not just deacons. We've all been called out to serve. I know every one of you has probably had times in your life when you could serve somebody else. When you've been called to do something to support somebody else to be there. And I thank God for this church because you have a heart to do that. But Paul's telling us we're to do that even if it costs us everything. Even if it costs us our life. Even if it costs us persecution or brutality. We don't really suffer persecution in America. I've heard people say, man, I'm being persecuted. Well, persecution in my mind is being nailed to a cross. Persecution is being sawn in half or being stoned to death. Persecution is being locked in a dungeon and then starved to death. Persecution in America, we kind of relegate it down to people calling us names or being mean to us. Or That can distract us. That can take us off course. And obviously, it's meant to paralyze us that we get so concerned about what people think about us. I had an experience personally a number of years ago when a lot of people were saying mean th- I know you find this hard to believe, saying mean things about me. 
And I went to Amy, I said, and I said, you know, I know it's not that big a deal, but you know, think about my reputation. And she said some of the most profound words I've heard in a long time. Aren't you supposed to give your reputation to God too? It's true. What part of me am I supposed to hold on to? Nothing. Give it all away. And that's why I thank God for these two men today saying, I want to give it all away. I want to serve the church, whatever it costs me. Jesus Christ has given you and I the example, the perfect example. Working and laboring for Jesus Christ though, is not easy. I shared with you before a number of things that we end up doing as we serve Christ. A lot of times we get ourselves in a situation where people mock us or people make fun of us or people hurt us. People no longer want to be our friends because they think you're a religious zealot. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, everybody out there is crazy. I'm thankful that I'm crazy about Jesus Christ. How about you? Why is it that people have such a hard time with people that go to church or people that are religious? They look at Christ and his church and they feel these things. They feel like the church has lost its meaning. It doesn't mean anything to them, the church. Some people feel like the church is acceptable as long as they kind of stay in their place. As long as you guys stay in that building over there in Beaverdam, you guys, it's fine. But don't come knocking on my door. Don't come out here and try to tell me about Jesus. I, I don't like that. I don't want that. As long as you guys hang out in that church, you're good to go. Some people feel like the church is okay as long as it's kind of a social service. As long as the church does things, we do those things here. And there's probably people out there that appreciate that and don't really have much to do about Jesus Christ. Some people realize and give the church a little bit of credit that the church is a good influence on morality. You know, they teach the right things in the church. That's a good thing. Some people feel the church is okay to meeting the religious needs of other people. I don't necessarily have those, they might think, but, you know, some people have a need for religion, so the church is good for that. You know what the church is? Jesus Christ says this, and it is. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing short of that. Jesus is our all in all. Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is truth, and Jesus Christ is the way. Do we live that way, though? Do we really, really live our lives in such a way as people realize the essence of who Jesus Christ is? He's my life. He's my way. He's also truth. I need look no further than this, the Word of God, to understand what truth is. Jesus Christ never lost his joy of serving. He never did. There was no circumstance that ever took him off of his mission and his responsibility here on this earth. It's the same with us as deacons and servants of the Lord. We need to realize that it's not about circumstances. It's all about relationship. Because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to be said fast. You know, many of us have heard this and thought about it and realized it, that our lives are forged in the fire. They're refined in the fire. We've talked about gold before, how you melt gold down and the dross comes to the surface and you pull off the dross off top and then you have pure gold. A lot of it's the same with iron. But I want you to imagine for just a moment if I had about a 12-inch little thin rod of iron up here. That little rod of iron, little bar of iron, would be worth a few dollars. If we took that bar of iron, though, and we forged it into a set of wrenches, now we're probably talking that iron's now worth about $100. If we took that same little bar of iron and we forged it and pounded it down and molded it and shaped it into medical instruments that they use in an operating room, it'd probably be worth $1,000. Finally, if we took that metal, that bar of metal and that bar of iron and molded it down and melted it and forged it into tiny little intricate springs, 
They go in a, a, a top-level device or mechanism that's used for space flight or aircraft flight. We realize that that little bar of metal is now worth tens of thousands of dollars because of the intricacy that was made and forged into. Iron is forged and pounded and beaten and polished and forged again and hammered again and handled again to refine it into something of great value. You know what happens as we serve the Lord, as we suffer persecution, as we grow through the hard times as well as the good times? God is molding us and shaping us into that refined gold that we can be used in a great way. And Chris and Billy, I've seen God doing that in your lives in the past, and I know he's going to continue doing that now, and I'm so thankful for you doing that. I want to close with this thought. There's reasons for suffering, and just a couple to think about them this morning. Suffering brings us closer to Christ. Remember old Paul, I'd rather glory in my infirmities of the power of Christ merits upon me. He realized that, and so I believe he almost got to a point in his life where he welcomed me. Come on, bring it on. Because I'm growing in the Lord, and he realized every time he experienced that, that God was polishing him. God was refining him. So we draw closer to Christ when we suffer. When we suffer, it affirms our walk with Christ. When we're in a position where the world's coming against us or we have our enemies out there purely because we're serving Christ, it says that they didn't get their fill of crucifying Christ, so now they want to come against you. But it also affirms the fact that I must be doing good for God because the enemy doesn't like it. I woke up the enemy here. You know, I want to take a little rabbit trail for just a second. If you're living for the Lord and you're serving the Lord and you're not experiencing persecution, if you're not experiencing some hard times coming against you, you might want to check if I can start serving God in a greater way. I believe that God gives medals to people like Chris and Billy and the deacons here, the other pastors here, because they are worthy, Father, of, of also of, of following Jesus Christ, but also they, they, they live in such a way as they put God in a position where they're willing to do whatever it takes to serve the Lord and subsequently put themselves in the place of a secret service agent for God. They're willing to put their life on the line for God. You know, when we suffer, it also results many times in salvations of other people. People see you're going through a hard time and they wonder, how can this person do this like this? How can you have such a cheerful, joyful spirit when you're going through this hard time? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you why. Because of Jesus Christ. Finally, I love this thought about suffering. When we suffer and we soar through suffering, when we suffer and experience persecution, and we stand tall for the glory of God, you know what that does? It frustrates Satan. It frustrates the enemy. He can't believe he's not getting to you. Suffering for Christ is a badge of honor. Paul realized it. Paul is sharing with us that I need to be willing to do whatever it takes to serve the glory of God. Do whatever it takes to bring the gospel to people that don't have it. Do whatever it takes to help people grow in their faith. Billy and Chris, I want to leave you with this one verse as a charge and a challenge here this morning. It's verse 58 out of... 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me read it one more time. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for these two men. Father, I thank you for your holy word, Lord, that challenges every one of us. Father, we thank you that you're present in this house today. Speak to every one of our hearts, Father, about our walk, about our servanthood. Father, thank you, though, today, once again, for these two precious men, Lord, that you have set apart, that you have anointed, 
and appointed, Father, for this time in their life to serve as deacons in this church. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you that you have a great and mighty plan for each and every one of us. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked both these precious men, Billy and Chris, to come here in just a moment and share their testimony, but also share a thought from God's word with you. But uh, God bless you, Chris. God bless you, Billy. Pastor Gary asked me to share uh, my testimony this morning. There's a couple of things that quickly came to mind. And uh, first of all, my testimony is one of praise and thanks to God for his, just his goodness and his mercy to me over the years. And also one of thanks. Thanks to uh, some key people along the way that have really been a good witness uh, and spiritual example for me. And I think first of all, that would be my mother who kept us in church growing up. My dad uh, didn't start going to church until about maybe 10th or 11th grade, but when I was in 10th or 11th grade, but my mom kept uh, me in church and my siblings in church day in and day out. She took us to Wednesday night activities and Sunday morning Sunday school and Sunday uh, services and other events. And I think in large part because of her keeping me in church that uh, I don't have a story that involves uh, some of the quote-unquote major issues that you hear of, of drugs and alcohol and other things. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older he will not depart from it. And uh, I think I can claim that verse to some degree in my life because of my mom's faithfulness in keeping me in church. And, you know, I think as an aside here, if you are in a similar situation as my mom was, was taking, taking kids to church when uh, possibly, uh, you know, your spouse isn't going, then I just encourage you to kind of take heart uh, with that. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not go, uh, grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Uh, so I guess my testimony to kind of get back to it kind of starts in second or third grade. I was uh, sitting in a Sunday school classroom over at Newbridge Baptist Church over in Sanston where we went. And I remember sitting at one of those small tables with the small chairs like you have in the B-Ram children's department back there. And our Sunday school teachers, which were an old couple, uh, opened up the Bible and teaching us about the Bible and about God and his word. And it was really kind of piquing my interest at the time. And then I remember uh, not long after that, sitting in the Sunday morning service, feeling a conviction coming over my heart. And I knew what it was immediately, but I didn't want to respond to it because I was afraid to go forward and give my life to Christ. We, not as an excuse, but we did sit at the back of a large church and on a second level balcony, and there was a long way down those stairs and all the way to the front. Uh, so I'm ashamed to say I kind of pushed that thought off for two or three Sundays. Uh, and then fast forward a few weeks, and it was one summer night, and I remember playing outside, and my mom came and said, okay, you know, I need y'all to get dressed up. You're going to go to church tonight. And uh, it wasn't really something I wanted to do. I remember putting up a special fight against it. But thankfully, my mom was persistent and uh, made us go to church. And I'm glad that she did. It was a tent revival outside on the lawns of the church. And not long after the preacher started talking that night, I remember feeling God really moving in my heart in a big way. And uh, after the service was over, the invitation was given, I felt my feet kind of just carrying me forward. And the pastor asked me, son, you know, do you understand what you're doing? I responded that I did and prayed to receive Christ there that night. And after I did that, uh, it was an experience like I've never had before. I felt as if my heart of stone was turned into a heart of flesh. And I instantly had a lot of joy in my heart. And, I, you know, I was an elementary school student. I didn't even know that I really had anything wrong, to be honest with you. But I also felt as if a, a heavy coat was taken off, literally like a heavy coat was taken off my shoulders. Uh, it was an experience like I hadn't had before. And I remember just tears of joy coming down my face 
and then after that, uh, there was changes in my life as a result. I remember uh, having a newfound joy in my life and wanting to know more about God and about His Word. And I remember my mom giving me a New Testament to read through, which I did, and really enjoying that. And her sitting beside me at night and teaching me different Bible verses, teaching me Psalms 23 and the Lord's Prayer and, and other verses, and really uh, growing from that. And then also with my friends, starting to wean off certain friends, which I knew weren't the best influences, uh, until we finally moved out to Montpelier uh, in about between fourth and fifth grade and cutting the, cutting the cord with those for good. And then when we got out to Montpelier, we had a hard time finding a church. We went to a lot of different churches for a few years. And though, I will say this, though, though we never found a church in that time frame that we were really, you know, felt at home with, it didn't keep my mom from keeping us in a church and continuing to grow there. So I appreciate her persistence again in my life. Fast forward a little bit further to around uh, my 12th grade year. My dad started going to church again after his mom died, and his mom was a big influence in his life as well. And he invited me to go on a mission trip through Beaverdam. 2004 to Nicaragua, I believe, was one of the first mission, international mission trips we took. We, uh, we took here as a church. And Pastor Gary was there, Joel was there, a man named Gene Brooks was there, and some others. And uh, it, was a, it was a turning point in my life spiritually because on that trip, I got to witness with Joel door to door to some people. And even though we were bumbling through it and not doing a very good job, it was, uh, it kind of encouraged us spiritually. I remember Joel saying later on in the, in the, in the trip, that he wanted to start using words instead of just the way he lived his life to be a witness for Christ. And that was something that resonated with me, and it was something that I wanted to do as well. So going forward as we got back, I started trying to do that, trying to witness more with words than with just actions. I remember going over to the Ashton Convalescent Center and starting to form some relationships there with some of the, the, the people that live there and getting to lead of one uh, very old person to the Lord there before uh, going off to William & Mary. So at William & Mary, uh, at college, I... Uh, was very involved in the Baptist Student Union. It was like a family away from family. It was a really good experience for me. But while there, another person kind of spoke into my life while there. His name was Bruce, Bruce West. And Bruce is no longer living. He died while serving overseas later with Canvas Crusade. But he was a Canvas Crusade pastor. And he would invite me out to coffee and to lunch and things like that and ask how I was doing spiritually and try to encourage me. And one other thing he did was he encouraged me to apply to uh, the summer project through Canvas Crusade. And Summer Project is like a two- or three-month mission trip, basically, to these different uh, nice areas. So it's not like you're really suffering too much, like Ozark Lakes or Lake Tahoe or something like that. But you go there and you serve. Uh, you, you get a job with, with locals in the tourist industry or fast food industry or whatever. And my uh, assignment, uh, I, by the way, I applied and I was accepted and went to Ozark Lakes in Branson, Missouri. Was, uh, my assignment was to start working at Krispy Kreme, which is a tough place to work, obviously. And to start witnessing to the people that live there. I mean, not live there, that work there. And uh, I will say that the donuts never got old. I ate them every day for lunch and breakfast. I would double pump them with filling, put extra toppings on it. I loved it. It was amazing. But uh, one of the coworkers there did accept Christ, which was a really cool experience. And then coming back from that summer project, I saw that God was kind of using that in a way that I didn't necessarily know because a lot of the Chem's Crusade staff poured into us while we were there. Uh, so when I returned... So when we married the Baptist Student Union pastor over the last 20 or 30 years, Pete Parks retired and asked me to lead the different family groups and small groups and to help find the next campus pastor and things like that. And I was able to apply a lot of what we learned from Campus Crusade over Summer Project to that and uh, get to see a lot of fruit in the Baptist Student Union. So that was very neat. And fast forward a little bit further, uh, after graduating, I moved to Washington, D.C. 
go to the D.C. area. And during that time, I got to meet my wonderful wife, Jillian, uh, who's one of the most sincere uh, believers I've ever known. Um, very biblically sound. has been a great partner to me uh, and a great encourager to me. And also, while in D.C., some other things that happened, I got to sit under some really good teachers, Lon Solomon, who's the head pastor of McLean Bible, and Todd Phillips, and some others, Tom Joyce, who came down and spoke recently, and also got to be uh, a witness to my coworkers there. I started with a company called Deloitte Consulting in Washington, D.C., and uh, while there, they brought in about 25 other students from around the East Coast, from Yale and Georgetown and GW, really good schools, and brought us all together. It was a very diverse group, uh, Jews, atheists, um, people that would consider themselves Christians but really weren't walking. And through that time, we quickly became a close-knit group. We would take canoe trips together and weekend getaways and, and things like that. And also just the pressure of being at work together. You had a lot of expectations on you. Uh, but through those relationships, I was able to personally witness uh, to pretty much every one of them while there. And now they're at different places around uh, around the world and doing different business things. Some of them, one guy, his name was Eden, a Jewish guy. Got to talk with him about Isaiah and what it looked like, what the Messiah was going to look like. And I remember him, he, he didn't accept the gospel, um, but nonetheless, I got to witness to him. So I'm thankful for that. He later went on to be the editor of the Harvard Law Review, same role that Obama did. So it was neat to be able to witness to some, you know, some, some influential people that are up and coming. Uh, and then also one other story I remember I'll leave with you was with my boss. His name was Mike. He was a previous Marine. And we were sitting outside of Boston, outside of MIT getting ready to, uh, we were taking a class on strategy and innovation, and I remember sitting there, we were having some clam chowder in Boston, and I remember sharing with Mike, I'd been praying for him, and just saying, uh, Mike, you know, there's some things in your life which aren't aren't spiritually good, which aren't good, and uh, I remember saying, you know, I know you're probably not going to like me saying this, and even if you were to fire me, Mike, I, I would still want to let you know, and uh, he was he was surprisingly receptive to it, and uh, thankfully, <laughs> and uh, later, we got to disciple him at work and start a Bible study, which he attended. So I'm thankful that I was able to witness and share the gospel with a lot of those people. And uh, some of them were open and some of them weren't, but praise be to God, they heard the gospel. So fast forward a couple more years, moved down to Richmond, which is where we obviously are now. And uh, my wife and I want to move down here uh, where the cost of living is a lot less. We can afford a house, actually, and uh, the pace of living is a little bit slower. And uh, joined Beaver Dam, had been teaching in 11th and 12th grade class. And now we're really looking forward to getting to serve you all and to support the pastors uh, as a deacon. I want to start off this morning to say thank you the opportunity to be here and to be able to serve, um, serve you as, as far as servant leadership and to be a part of this church. And, um, I'll start out with telling a little bit about myself, and some of you know me and some of you don't know me. Some of you just become to know me in the last couple of weeks and stuff. So, um, But me and my wife, Debbie, uh, and then we have a younger son, Colby. Uh, we just moved to the Richmond area about two years ago. And... Um, one of the prerequisites <laughs> to where we were going to move was my wife as well. I mean, we're very involved here as far as with the food bank and Awana and various things. Uh, I teach Sunday school as well. Um, but uh, one of the prerequisites was that we find a church with Awana. 
And uh, so I started looking in the area and picked out several churches that had Awana, and then we picked out our house where it was located. So uh, this goes to show you where our heart is. to show you where our heart is as far as a family and living for God. And um, we also have two other sons that are older. Um, Miles is the oldest. He lives in South Carolina where we're originally from. Uh, and he's in the National Guard. And then we also have a middle son, which is Tate. And he lives in Roanoke, which we moved from Roanoke to Richmond. Um, so now that I tell you a little bit about my family and who we are and, and all that type of stuff, I'll tell you a little bit about my personal testimony. Um, I was uh, attending the Cope Baptist Church, which is in South Carolina, and uh, got invited to a youth conference. I was at the age of 10, and I went to hear a gentleman speak. He was in um, a gang or a group uh, called the Hells Angels, and uh, God spoke to me. And I thank him for that, as far as the stirring of the Holy Spirit. But I went down and went forward and accepted Christ as my Savior. Until this day, he's been an active part in my life. I will have to say over the last 10 years, um, I've been more obedient, uh, focused on his direction and his will. And I, I'll have to say due to that, um, I've been blessed more than I deserve, and more, more than I can say. Um, with that also being said, um, as far as my testimony throughout my um, throughout my life, uh, as I've accepted Christ as my Savior, I could go on and on and on and on with this testimony of little things, big things, humongous things about what God's done in my life. Um, but I'm one of those individuals that look forward, look for tomorrow, uh, and prepare for tomorrow, uh, and focus on what tomorrow brings and where I can make a difference through what God's given me the ability to do and God's given me as far as my gifts here on earth. And as I share with you, with you this morning what uh, what my gifts that God, God has given me, um, I would be first and foremost to say he's given me a heart of love, uh, a heart of compassion, a heart of faithfulness. Um, and as I, I'll go into each of those and kind of talk a little bit about that, but uh, being considered a deacon and being a deacon here for you as your church um, and being part of, of this congregation, I, I want to offer up to you that I am here for you as far as serving you with your needs um, your troubles, your situations, and your circumstances, uh, as well as the pastor and the pastor body here at this church. Um, I, I just often have the opportunity to sit and speak with people or to listen to people. And in this world today, there's so much hurt, there's so much sorrow, there's so much anger. I mean, there's so much Satan uh, going on that we're faced with each and every day that we, we, you know, that we wake up. And just for have somebody that may just sit down and listen. 
or just have somebody that you can go to and talk to or just have somebody that you can share a hug with um, means means a lot to those that don't have much or don't have the confidence or the faith or don't have Christ. And that could be the deciding difference between them knowing Christ and not knowing Christ. Um, as I talk about um, my heart of compassion, I'm very compassionate for you as far as the church, as far as members, um, and as far as serving you and having the sympathy, the drive, the dedication to be there for you in your time of need, as well as the pastor body here also, and as well as the other deacons um, as well as also. Um, as far as love, <laughs> I like to think of myself when you think, when you see love in the dictionary, is you see my heart. people and my love for God is strong and I just wish that we could all have the love of Christ that he gave his his, his life for us and that's I, I have high expectations because I set myself up as far as the expectations for love to be like Christ and I know the only way that I can <laughs> even possibly come close to that is to have him dead center in my life and there's no other way because of the way of the world and how it is and what we have to experience and what we have to deal with but the love to share the gospel is what I just find myself comfortable with if you would have known me 10 years ago and I, I, I'm still not as confident as what I want to be when sharing the gospel but I just do what the Holy Spirit's led for me to do. And I just follow his direction. And so far, I mean, he's been a blessing to me immensely. As far as me seeing lives changed, as far as people just understanding what God's love is, just by a simple man, a simple sinner, standing before them, being able to share God's gospel. And when you see God work through you like that, you can't turn away. You can't look away. And you can't you can't dispute it the next one is being faithful and um, when I talk about being proactive when I talk about where we where I'm at with the Lord and things that I'm doing and where the Lord's working with me most right now in my relationship with him is being faithful and as I have the opportunity as you as you could probably tell I probably have high expectations for myself but I mean, I want to be as close to God as I can possibly be with the heart that he has. And I'll read from you, as far as my prayers and as far as my study here over the last, I'd say probably six months, um, is to be as much or to have the heart as much like Abraham did for God as, as what he did. And I'll read from read to you verse uh, in Hebrews verse uh, um, chapter 11 verse 8 it says by faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for his inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he lived as an alien in the land of the promise as in his as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob 
fellow heirs of the same promise. And I jump over to verse um, 17 where it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son Isaac, and he who received the promise was offered up his only begotten son. It was he to whom to it was he to whom was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a true type. When you think about that situation, the first scenario displaying or describing Abraham's um, faithfulness is to go out into a foreign land, to go out and to, um, that he would be blessed by the Lord, protected by the Lord, to be um, to be a man of many nations. And when you think about the uncertainty to, to there, is we have those opportunities in front of us today where we're asked to go and be faithful and maybe deliver a message, maybe to move to another location, maybe to take another job where you're uncertain about that. And just through prayer and, and the relationship with Christ um, or with God, Abraham did that. Well, when you get to the second verse, verse 17, it has a little more sharpness to it. And when I say sharpness, it involves the family. And we know what God's thoughts are about the family and how important it is to the church body and is to the family of, of Christ. But for Abraham to be obedient enough to be willing to offer up his son Isaac to be sacrificed, number one, that shows some serious faith um, of, of what Abraham had. But then not only did Abraham have the faith to do that, he also had the faith that if he offered up Isaac as far as his sacrifice, that God could bring him back. God made the promise that he was going to be a man of many nations. And he had and he had that faith that God would be able to deliver that as well. So when you think about those situations and you look at yourself today as far as your relationship with Christ, this is where God's working in me as far as building my faith, my commitment to you as a deacon, my commitment to God himself as far as sharing the gospel um, and being, being um, that Christ-like model here amongst the earth and, and, and sharing the gospel with others. My challenge to you and my, my question to you is, where are you at today with God? What is your focus? What are you being challenged with? What are your opportunities? And if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I, 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 I offer that up to you today to make sure that you don't leave before you do know him as your personal Savior. And for those that you that may be in a struggling time or a situation that you're just having a tough time with life in general or circumstance or situations, be faithful. Because when you stand in in the glory of God. He's always there for us. And he'll always come through for us. It's just a matter of how committed we are to stand in the trench. To hold up his sword. Or to share his gospel. And to be a part of his glory. Thanks Pastor.